0: Welcome back to GLF Live, the official podcast of the Global Landscapes Forum. Earlier this year, world leaders gathered at the United Nations to negotiate a global agreement to protect marine life. But for the fifth time running, the talks amounted to nothing. Meanwhile, as the planet gets hotter, the world's oceans are absorbing heat faster and faster, which threatens to wipe out coral reefs and other important marine ecosystems. Yet in the face of such blatant inaction from those in positions of power, young people are once again stepping up and doing what they can to protect their local seascapes. And today, we're joined by three remarkable young women who are doing exactly that, starting with our guest host and 2021 GLF restoration steward, Camille Rivera.
1: Welcome everybody, my name is... Camille, and on behalf of the Youth in Landscapes Initiative and the Global Landscapes Forum, we are sending out a huge welcome to you all. The Youth in Landscapes Initiative is, a, is teaming up with the Global Landscapes Forum to create a youth-led episodes for GLF Live and share the wonderful projects, initiatives, and dreams that young people are doing and um, everywhere in the world. So we are very excited to start this conversation with two amazing young leaders and experts from Asia-Pacific region. Today we are very lucky to talk to Andita Furseli Utami, or known as AFU, from Indonesia, an environmental economist, initiator of Think Policy Indonesia and activist, and Hidayah Khalid, from Malaysia, marine conservationist in the Perinthian Islands and a restoration steward 2022 for the ocean.
2: Hi, my name is Afu. I'm a, I'm an economist. I, I work uh, with uh, one of the international financial institutions that I'm not representing in this uh, discussion. Uh, I also co-founded, so I'm an environmental economist, so oh, I mentioned that already. I also uh, kind of co-founded uh, this community. For young professionals in Indonesia who are interested to learn more about public policy, um, so a community of uh, practitioners basically uh, that tries to, uh, you know, come up with solutions that will promote evidence and empathy based policymaking in Indonesia. I know that's a mouthful, but that's the that's the goal. Wow,
1: that's amazing what you're doing with all the policy and as young as you are. No, like I think we should there will be more discussions towards that. So, now for you, Hidaya.
3: Okay, hi, hello everyone, thank you for tuning in. So, I'm Hidaya. so I'm from Malaysia, and so then I'm working with the Perhentian Marine Station. Basically, I'm based on the Pahintian Island, so now I'm on the island. Um, <laughs> so, the Perhentian uh, Marine Station is a small-scale uh, conservation station that's based uh, for uh, overseas, the coral health around here, and then, uh, initiating, uh, any conservation approaches that we, as needed for Penjan Island. Penjan Island is a marine park. So basically, it's been gazetted as a protected area. So we, uh, the stations came in trying to, uh, sustain uh, how the marine park should be. And then, uh, while we are working together with the local communities around here, so we are hoping that we are able to accelerate the conservation value uh, within the communities around here and also bring the Pahintian, um beyond the island so that people know uh, how beautiful our coral reef around here.
1: Amazing. This is such a diverse group. Like you're doing policy, Apu and are working on the ground in the ocean. And thank you so much for your personal stories. It is so beautiful to explore, you know, very diverse experiences. And I would like to know more about your experience as a young environmentalist in the region, as we all share. So I'm from Philippines, you're Malaysia, Indonesia. So we are in that region. And Afu, all your platforms are, are directed to the youth audience and are using Indonesian language and not English. And has the language been often a barrier to discuss environmental topics so far? And what do you think or why is it important to engage young people in critical thinking around the environment through their
2: own language? That is a big question. Uh, I'll try to, <laughs> uh, to to answer it. So definitely language is uh, so central in communicating and engaging not just young people, right? But people in general to care more about environmental issues. Um, at the end of the day, I think all activism, all, you know, organizing, mobilizing, uh, um, uh, you know, voices is about having a common understanding on what the problem is, and language is so central in making sure that people understand and, you know, have, have the same understanding on, on, on uh, what that looks like or uh, what actually matters, right? So I think oftentimes um, environmentalists come from maybe, this is, this is my observation, but like scientific background. So, you know, a lot of the times when we talk about the oceans, um, climate change, uh, the forest, right, there are a lot of kind of technical, scientific terms that are critical, of course, in, you know, better, you know, talking uh, or understanding about uh, the environment. But at the same time, it sometimes limits your audience, like it limits the the level of reach that you can get. Um, And... Maybe in the past it's okay. Like maybe in the past it's okay that a few, you know, kind of like a small group of environmentalists care about this issue. But more and more we see that the way that our ecosystems have been destroyed uh, makes it less possible for the rest of us to not care about this issue. Um, Mm -hmm. It makes. This morning I, I think about this term affordability not to care. In the past maybe there's high affordability not to care about environmental issues. But more and more today, as we're experiencing, you know, climate uh, disasters, as we're uh, we're seeing microplastics in our food, in our air, um, and, and all of these issues, right, like more people have to, to talk about this. And so we need to shift away from the scientific languages um, mm-hmm. when, um, yeah, talking about carbon or, or whatever mm-hmm. it is, to like more direct language uh, that makes people, that, that makes the, the issue more visualizable if that makes sense to the rest of exactly. um of, of, of the communities right so so again like and for example what is climate change that itself like there's a whole uh nothing there's a whole like scientist a community of scientists talking about or defining what that is there's a whole uncertainties around everything mm-hmm. but when you simplify that into disasters right into floodings, um uh, just uh, last week actually one of uh, the big coastal cities in indonesia is expe- experiencing uh coastal uh, flooding. I mean, that's climate change, um, right? Yeah. But uh, when you talk about it in terms of the the language, the Indonesian language for it is banjir uh, rob. People know what banjir rob is, um, for example, and, and likewise, uh, right? sampah plastic, You know, in, in terms of marine plastic pollution, um, I, I think it's so critical. And secondly, your question in terms of is it important to engage people in critical thinking? Yes. So a lot a lot of the times when I try to talk about environmental issues, I to not even use any any environment word like or environmental mm-hmm. terms at all um, and instead a lot of the for example with think policy uh, we're doing a bunch of uh, different we call it policy boot camps or like trainings uh, or like academy. Let's, let's call it that um, where instead of really saying you, know, you have to care about climate change we focus on shaping the container uh, in terms of the capacity to think uh, understand problem and solving problems, right? Um, so the modules focus on critical thinking skills, um, problem solving skills, uh, negotiation, communication skills, and all of that. Because once people get more critical, it's so difficult not to care about environmental issues. Like once you can, once your, I, I say like the, your third eye <laughs> opens, <laughs> it's yeah. impossible not to realize that this is such a big issue. So, um, uh Oftentimes, I feel like we try to 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 put to people's face, you know, care more about the environment. But when the container is not ready, when people are not thinking critically, when they just care about the, you know, the small narrow issue in front of them, uh, or um, yeah, like it's difficult to look at to look to see why environment is such a big issue when you're not trained to look at the big picture yeah. and um, understand data, like why data and evidence is important and all of that. Um, so that's kind of have been my uh, theory of change personally. Uh, and I know that it definitely is not the only way, I, I'm not saying that everyone has to approach this issue in this particular way. I know Hidayah will tell her story later, right? In terms of doing it maybe with a different approach, but that's all the more reason why we all need to work together and kind of comp- complement uh, each other's uh, work. So yeah, yeah. I'm so it's ex- excited that we're doing this talk because as you said, like we get to cover um, a wide spectrum of interventions.
1: Exactly. I like what you what you mentioned because even in the Philippines, we have about hundred languages, you know, and I'm sure in Indonesia as well, in Malaysia as well, and yeah. English is is just a superficial for us a language. And when you go down in the ground, it's it's totally different, and it it um it uh influences their actions like the language. So if you can relate to that language with them, they can understand, and there's so specific words that is only applicable to our language, right? And, and that's the whole reason why everything has to be inclusive. We have to include a lot of different languages. And I think what you also pointed out, like there's so many jargons in scientific background. And I was a, you know, a scientist before and I move into more on the scientific communication, which is very uh, difficult for a lot of people to make sure people understand the layman's term and, and more public term, you know, and also um, I, I also like what you you mentioned about more design thinking, trick, uh, critical thinking, because a lot of webinars I've, I've attended are all into just um, you know like awareness, 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 and we, we're now aware, you know. There's so much topics exactly. about it anymore. Like, exactly. you do something, right? It's, exactly. There has to be problem solving already, and it's it's not enough to just be aware. There has to be accountability, and I really like what you mentioned about that. And and let's move on to Hidayah and, yes. you know, working in, in Perhimpian Marine Research Station. I, it's very difficult to mention that word. <laughs> um, what is the value of engaging with young people in local communities for environmental issues? And the second question is, are there any obstacles you encounter to engage with young people from the local communities and how do you overcome them?
3: Okay. Yeah, this is also a big question. So definitely uh, coming from Afu is about the language. It's really important when you work on the ground. So like I I do support that Uh, having environmental conscious, environmental and, and then conservation knowledge is a privilege for a people. So I would say, for example, like me, I'm coming from a mainland. So I came to the islands and I'm working with the communities here. It's such a privilege that I do understand why marine ecosystem is uh important. So I do. We need to protect them and then, then uh, growing bigger at the national levels and international levels, they come up with the, all the frameworks, the global frameworks, biodiversity, CBDs and so on. So it's such a, it's such a high uh, knowledge over there, up there. That, But basically, we really need to tone down, so level down to the peoples that are in the system, in the ecosystem that they know the values. So giving that uh, engaging youth from the local community is really important. It's a cliche terms like youth is the future, but I do support uh, youth is the future because I won't stay this young anymore. So like I need someone to, to continue the passion, especially from the peoples in the local community because they have spent their time here and then they will continue. Obviously, they will continue living here. So like the, the ecosystem won't move move anyway to the city. So the the coral will be here. So and then yeah. they are the biggest asset that I have so far. And then uh, as much as innovative solutions that we have uh, available now online and in all the, all the critical thinking groups are coming up uh, and then discussions are uh, ongoing within the youth community outside the island. Uh, we really need to see whether it, uh, it, it fits the capacity of the local here to understand mm-hmm. what we are uh, delivering, that the messages in the marine ecosystem. And then also, uh, we are able to comprehend with the native language, n- uh, native knowledge. Mm-hmm. So they know the islands. Mm-hmm. So like they do have you know, these kinds of species are uh, here and there, and then what, what has been changed uh, throughout their lives on the island. So that is really important element when we do coral conservation, uh, marine conservation on the ground, uh, having youth uh, in, within from the community yeah, for example, like when we are doing our survey, so I have to change overall survey form, the form, into binary yeah. language. And then oh, I was wow. asking, yeah, and then I was thinking them like, oh, do you know this is a butterfly, for example, the butterfly fish. And then they was like, oh, we know this fish, but we don't know the butterfly fish. So they, <laughs> they come up with their own um, names, like mm-hmm. the local name, And then I have to list down all the indicator species in their names and then, it's been successful survey last year we did uh, with the local community just to oversee how the coral health around the island. And then from them, the message got a little bit more strong compared to me telling the people, like, yeah, your corals is not doing good, this is degrading. But having the message coming from the people itself, yeah. and then they experience the first hand of degrading ecosystem that they have around, is much more impactful and powerful message uh, to deliver. And then for the second question is the obstacles. Uh, I would say youth is about interest. So, how what are uh, what they're interested to, And then they are at the age of like exploring, uh, experiencing. So, the, the the strategies that we are doing around here is more on a hands on activity. So, like the program, empowerment programs that we are creating involving field so, like, through the fieldwork they are learning, like, they know what is happening. This is the thesis that we are talking about. So, we still do have classes uh, before we jump into diving and then looking up for the indicator species and so on. But uh, main, main, like, the biggest portions of the empowerment program that we are doing here is on-the-ground uh, work. Like, let's go. It's fancy. It's sexy to dive. So, let's dive. And then uh, they are creating more interest within their colleagues that they are asking like is there any possibility for for the others to join in and then uh, another challenges is that for for the practitioners for for me especially is to create such a transformative program so we can innovate in a way um we have we, we come up with the uh, on the ground uh and then trainings practical training but how to tran- keep transforming the program so that uh the youth are able to understand. So, sustaining the program until they understand. So, once everyone's at the same wavelength, um, they are able to understand. And then, it's like Afu say, it's, it's impossible not to care when you know the values of the ecosystem that they have. So, that is one sort of the obstacles around here, which has been observed uh, when uh, throughout my stay, work with the community, which is they want to know, but how to transform so that the interest is always there. Uh, until they understand what they are in uh, what what is the modern conservation, why they have to protect things, and aside from that, the obstacle is the adult education as much as we focus on uh youth and then their understandings that is the futures we also have to see what is the current trends like as uh, the adult education is also important, which is I. it's a little bit challenging compared to uh young adults. Uh, because it's uh, it's within their within the value. It's a cultural thing that they have been practicing. So to change, to see the behavior change, a little bit hard, but slowly, slowly, can be done because out of respect. Uh, when you are together with the community for a long time, they understand you, they know you, and then, yeah. uh, for example, in Penang, they are able to accept that we are doing conservation. Everything is no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah.
2: They
3: cannot do this. They cannot do that. But uh, out of respect, they do. They do tone down what they are doing so we no longer have anchoring on the corals and then whenever we are around they, they know that you can't fish, fish fish and then the turtles they're not we are, we are start listening to the people on the uh, like a boatman started to like no, no don't, don't touch the turtles and then from yeah. the boatman yeah so that is uh one of the there's a two of the like, several of the turtles that we have around <laughs> us, but yeah <laughs> It's so
1: nice that everyone is really about the language and I see that everyone needs to understand. And and I like what you said that, you know, you have to transform all the time because um, a lot of young people are having different interests, right? And it has to be you know, a lot of time catered to them and they have to get so much interest and always the fieldwork. I do believe that, like, sometimes they don't understand the theory and it's all about the fieldwork, right? So um, let's go to AFU and something in relationship to Asia-Pacific. And is there something that you can share with us in a nutshell? What is the relationship of the region? For example, the cultures with the Asia-Pacific
2: Ocean? Um. I mean, I can speak for Maybe Indonesia, in terms of how we see, you know, the oceans, I think, mm-hmm. uh, pr- primarily, I mean, we're, we're an archipelago, right? Without yeah. the oceans, we're a bunch of separated islands. Um, so it's always, uh, you know, in terms of the, 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 the big national narrative, you know, the oceans yeah. unite us, basically. Uh, it's, it's how, and even historically, uh, there's, um, so before, I think, uh, in terms of international, uh, law governing the sea, I, I forget what it's called. Uh, but basically it used to just be a certain kilometer, uh, uh, you know, from the coast, uh, from the coast. Uh, but because of Indonesian diplomats, because it's so important, uh, you know, for Indonesia that, the uh, that we are, uh, like one uni- unified, um, um, country territorially. Ter- ter- uh, basically through diplomacy and whatnot, uh, it's now acknowledged as like the entire, uh, the, the oceans, uh, you know, within the, uh, or between the Indonesian islands uh, belong to Indonesia. It's an in, Indonesian territory, right? Um, yeah. So it's, it shows how important it is uh, to to our founding fathers. And, and it's kind of like symbolic, but also, well, initially symbolic to, to what like Indonesia as a nation is. But also uh, culturally and in terms of national identity, right? We have this song, uh, which basically is saying that um, our ancestors were uh, seamen uh, or like pelawut. Uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a whole song. Um, so, uh, I mean, even as children, they want to make sure that even though jobs kind of look differently today, but, um, you know, in terms of looking at our ancestors, uh, they already kind of, um, explored the sea. I mean, this, all, all these different, um, yeah. how do you call it? Kingdoms, right? Back before, uh, before the colonizers came in. And this is such a, a Southeast Asia, uh, identity, like mm-hmm. the dynamics with, with, uh, the colonizers as well. Uh, yeah. but um yeah how like even the it, when they were independent kingdoms uh they're already sailor, sailors um um exploring uh different parts of, of of the world uh especially um not the in Sulawesi um then you know Majapahit in Java I think also had uh their own kind of uh uh how do you call it like yeah like a a a, a sea power or like um, yeah, they, they had uh, uh, because the, the, the sea and the exploring is so important um, yeah. and then fast forward to today basically, right, it remains such an important uh, culturally um, and, and beyond, right, to, to, to young Indonesians today and, and just Indonesians in general It's uh, so in terms of livelihoods right, um, over 2 million of Indonesians are, um, uh, are fishermen, uh, fisher people yeah. Um, and, um, so it, it definitely it's like a source of livelihoods. Um, we have the longest coastal, uh, line in the world. So in yeah. terms of, um, uh, you know, the, the, coast as, uh, um, how you call it, like, uh, tourism, uh, sites, it, it creates for like, in terms of recreational value and whatnot, it's, it's so sense that people like going to the beach, you know, being with, um, uh, with loved ones and everything. Um, so it's such a shame when, you know, with all this, uh, the identity, the economic value, the cultural value that, um, uh, the oceans especially is, uh, providing us, right. Um, we, you know, the, the fact that there are a lot of environmental issues now surrounding, uh, the oceans makes, makes you think, uh, you know, do we really, if, I mean, if, if sometimes you take things for granted, right? Like you think yeah. that it's been there the whole time. We like eating fish. We like going to the beach. Um, but once, um, uh, you know, yeah, once there is like a threat, you take it for granted and like now there's a threat, but then, uh, you know, whether people want to change their behavior and think about how to to manage and protect our oceans better, that's a whole other level of appreciating what uh, you've been uh, enjoying and like whether we actually value oceans the way that we claim uh, we have, right? Like that Indonesia as a country puts it at at the center of our identity, but like what does it mean Mm in terms of, uh policy you know whether we have enough policy protecting uh our marine areas both for conservation but also you know beyond uh yeah what does it mean um how how we handle um various issues overfishing in the region um uh, all of that so uh, marine plastic definitely we can talk more about it later uh but yeah i think like if we just take a second to pause and think about what the oceans mean to us i think there'll be people will have like very rich answers and they might be different, yeah. but it's definitely, um, you know, remains important, I think.
1: It, yeah. It boils down to like livelihood and it boils down to a lot of, um, people, even Philippines is a lot of fisher, fisher, uh, of people, uh, a lot rely on water because again, like Indonesia I think, an archipelagic, even Malaysia and, and and Philippines. And, you know, we are in this Asia Pacific, project team right and we have been discussing the different environmental challenges experienced within this region and which is incredibly diverse and rich and very diverse like experiences as well among those um that we talk and the challenges is the plastic pollution that you actually also mentioned <laughs> and it has clearly emerged as one of the most widespread everywhere in Asia Pacific, especially among coasts and oceans. And, and for Hidayah, um, actually for, for both, um, let's, let's talk with, with Afu. What are the main causes for this and how does this issue affect people living in the Pacific, uh, Asia Pacific region?
2: Yeah, so marine plastic pollution, I think twofolds, right? Um, one uh, research uh, part, also a part of it is uh, being done by the World Bank. Finds that basically 80% of the leakage of marine uh, plastics that went to the ocean actually come from from the land, right? So these are the things uh, that we consume in the land, but end up not being in the landfill, but actually goes to, to, to the ocean. The second part of the problem is this international uh, relations as well, in terms of mm-hmm. uh, you know other countries dumping their <laughs> dumping their uh, plastic waste to Indonesia, to uh, Asia-Pacific region uh, in in a way, right? Because we lack more robust, uh, I mean, for for some time we are actually, you know, taking it uh, um, in, but we lack the regulatory framework to actually uh, address this issue. Um, So the first one in terms of our own consumptions, right? I think um, one root problem with this is that only about uh, if the statistics hasn't changed, yet, less than 10% of Indonesia's waste, um, plastic especially, is being recycled. The rest of oh, it wow. uh, goes to the landfill, and um, actually most of it ends up being leaked uh, to the ocean. And this is because yeah. we like the infrastructure for such uh, recycling programs. We I know that we like blaming the awareness issue. Yes, we like yeah. awareness. Um, that is true, but also people... Okay. Like when people are aware, but the system is not helping them to um, to change their behavior, then you'll go back to uh, uh, 2.0, basically. I know uh, a lot of a lot of them are even my my friends, my own friends. Like they try to uh, separate their uh, waste, uh, for example, at home, uh, so that uh, some like the ones that can be recycled can be separated. But at the end of the day, when the services, the, the public, you know, the government's um, waste management services. Came and actually don't recycle, don't have the infrastructure to do it. But they just end up mixing the the two separate bins again in, in the truck. Um, so the you same. know, awareness will go to waste. Yeah, exactly. Like, what is awareness for if you if the government's not ready with uh, with the system to to help it? Uh, yeah. So, that's uh yeah one huge issue so i i I like to think about this problem in terms of like the the value chain right like going from the really upstream to downstream um like Mm -hmm. in the in the very beginning it's really about us also reducing our consumption in the first place um so thinking about minimalism or essentialism um people sometimes don't like minimalism but like really thinking about what's essential and um just really focus on um uh, or like consume responsibly uh in terms of uh yeah what you need and um, the whole i mean especially like fashion industry, right like all this fast fashion um yeah. all the uh, like uh, delivery based i'm I'm guilty of this as well, but like this delivery uh based uh, food del- delivery services um that comes in not reuse not reusable packaging and and all of that and like this whole e-commerce marketplaces now. Um, comes with big. a lot of extra packaging that we didn't think we needed. Because, like in the without food delivery services, that is so cheap and convenient, people actually go to the restaurants and like eat in the place, yeah. dine in, right? But now that it's so cheap, it's only like five thousand difference, half a dollar difference. Uh, you can already deliver it to your home in like plastic packaging. Of course, people will yeah. do that because like you can stay at home and and do other things. Um, so uh, the, the, there's a really high price for convenience. Uh, yeah. right at, 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 at the end of the day. Um, mm-hmm. and, and we didn't used to live like this. So that's the problem. Um, like, how do we, uh, really rethink? Yes, I'm not saying that we should go back to, um, definitely food delivery service is good, but like, think about how at the system, uh, systemic level, we can also, uh, consider asking the restaurants to, or set up a mechanism where you can u- use, like reusable, uh, food containers and whatnot, Like you can return mm-hmm. it or things like that. It's a little, uh, less convenient, but, uh, it will have, you know, huge impact. And similarly, like yeah. the e-commerce marketplaces, like how do they regulate also packaging that is um, uh, not plastic-based, for example, and uh, and whatnot. So really, so reducing consumption, but when you have to c- consume, think about systemic solutions that will help you, help us, uh, you know, develop a more circular economy, kind of like re- use, using reusable everything, um sharing things with the communities, this is the other part capitalism and this idea of like nuclear family has isolated and alienated us so much from the community that we think yeah. we need to have our own everything um yeah. instead of sharing stuff where it's a lot more efficient like you just need one thing and like you share with your neighbors and whatnot. we used to yeah. live that way in the past um but now we're so isolated some, some, I, I don't even know my neighbors here uh uh, uh where i live but yeah I, I i learn, i try to get to know them but like in the past you need anything you need a letter like you can ask next door mm-hmm. now you need a letter you don't know anyone you purchase a letter from <laughs> you see what i mean so like it, it, it the sense of yeah. community and belonging um yeah. has has been shifted it's such an asian thing actually like living in a community and this term of like it, take, it takes a village to raise a kid like that means that it used to be not nuclear family but you really live in a in a broader community, a community. uh uh, where you belong right, and then down the stream to the waste management itself, so that's when um as I said, like the infrastructure for um waste collection uh for uh, uh what do say yeah, for for recycling and all of that like has to has to really uh flourish uh not just from the government side but a lot of private sector uh investment in waste management also has started to to uh to grow it's still very nascent. Um, in Indonesia, but over during the pandemic, especially, there's a few new companies that I know are, are, uh, starting up. I subscribe to one of them. So they usually come, so a private company coming, you know, picking up, uh, recyclable trash. Um, yeah, because otherwise, you know, it takes a while for the government to, to, to be ready Pick and providing that kind of services. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I think like along those, uh, uh the, 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 the value chain, let's say the stream. Uh, and don't forget again like the international really like stop the, the international communities from dumping uh their yes. way, uh, into our oceans territory so yeah
1: it's it's really important what you mentioned because it's a lot of a lot of the awareness building that we that i heard you know it's all about individual individual right it's all about like you have to do some things but now it's all about what you said is consumer responsibility okay we, we are if we are doing something the um bigger like corporations have to do something as well like change the value chain in the e-commerce doing something in the in the um infrastructures are the government ready you know those are really important steps that we need to tackle about plastic pollution especially in the region because um even in the philippines i i have to say it's the same as what you're experiencing uh even if you recycle they just hmm, you know put into one <laughs> like it becomes a waste so it, we have to really question this because um is the government ready there are many companies that are starting to recycle the problem is the government has to give subsidies but they're not ready right um this has to be a, a really uh, a question right for everything and and what are other steps because you're talking about like you know consumer responsibility as well but especially in Asia Pacific, what are other uh, steps that needs to be tackled, especially with plastic pollution?
2: Yeah, I I, I do. I have started thinking, uh, you know, in terms of what are at the regional level, uh, you know, things that we can do together in a way that solves uh, this issue together. I mean, you mentioned, you already kind of ruled out uh, infrastructure like in terms of investment and financing, but I think that's one of them. Actually, like in terms Mm -hmm. of mobilizing um, the the private sector, um, you know, getting I don't know, like because there's I think as a if we think about Asia Pacific, I, I hate doing this, but like Asia Pacific as a market, right? And um, thinking about what kind of um, investment in recycling uh, infrastructure we can uh, try to, to to bring, maybe that's that's um, kind of one of them, uh, including the the tech the tech itself, the technology of recycling, because uh, for example. And here is where we go to the details of like the science part of it That like different types of plastics some of them can be recycled some others can't um and uh, the efficiency level of of these uh, uh you know infrastructure machineries i don't know if there are like some lessons learned or uh, technological uh type of innovation that, that that can be shared again thinking about asia pacific as a community right this goes back to um it, my point earlier instead of thinking about ourselves as just like one country but this is such a regional issue in terms of marine plastic pollution so yeah think about what kind of collaboration we can do also for countries. Uh, countries. and secondly yeah. i think it also even in terms of the policy uh, uh framework the regulatory framework um i know that when it comes to policy it's very contextualized it's very country uh it should be country-driven because you can't just adapt, you know, things that work in Singapore, uh, you know, to the yeah. others completely. But indeed, Singapore has figured out, in terms of the the policy framework, right, how how to do this. I think they've increased, yeah. um, they have a very advanced kind of like recycling uh, facilities and also high awareness. Um, so maybe like that kind of lessons learned in terms of developing a policy framework. In Indonesia, I don't know uh, in the case of Malaysia and, and the Philippines, but we have uh, somewhat decentralized. It's a mix of like centralized but also decentralized government. But when it comes to waste management, it's actually very decentralized. Um, yeah. So a lot of the times, you need to empower the subnational government at the provincial or like district level to understand that this is an issue, to better improve their spending in terms of their fiscal yeah. spending, um, and invest in the right waste management services and whatnot. So and that makes um, the challenge even more so i I think like balancing between working at the regional level and like centralized lessons learned collaboration but also really working with the subnational governments uh in a decentralized manner so that they all feel empowered um to to come up with like local solutions right and really going back to to their roots I, i think sometimes when we think about solutions we think about you know futuristic type of things but uh Again, like, we didn't used to need plastic. We used to eat yeah. and package our food with daun pisang, you know, with, like, banana leaves. Yeah. and Banana leaves, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's such a maybe Asia-Pacific thing. I don't know, right? Do you, do you wrap your food no, with... The same. Yeah. yeah. Same. <laughs> Actually, just yesterday, I bought this little, like, food. It was wrapped in... So, normally, the banana thing, right? But instead, now it's wrapped in plastic. Then a banana leaf. Then another plastic outside. I don't understand why because like it's yeah. sort of just I really don't understand. Anyway, but it, was, like, it's like, we have almost the same um
1: like issues and and, and solutions and I'm I'm going to go to Hidayah to to her work in ecosystem restoration and you know, she's, you're actually doing the, you're the 2022 restoration steward, if like everyone is, is listening and, and for your, um, in your, you know, in your work and, and in the field as well, what are the necessary steps to be taken in order to support restoration practitioners in the region and protect the marine ecosystem? So not just uh, Malaysia, but you know, what are like, if you can talk to, you know, Philippines and Indonesia, what are you? the steps that they can do, like restoration practitioners do, to save the coastal and marine ecosystems.
3: Okay, so when we talk about, okay, that's also another big question. Um, okay, representing is such a small ecosystem that we have around here, but looking up at the Asia Pacific, it's, like, it's such a big uh, region. And then uh, now the 21 centuries of conservation uh, area, people are talking about connectivity ecosystems which is the ecosystem that we have is interconnected, which is trans-boundary. Yes. We are now no longer working on oh, Malaysia, just working on for Malaysia uh, ecosystems, and then uh, Thailand the Thailand, Indonesia and Philippines. So now we are like uh, in one interconnected ecosystem. Uh, so that um, everyone's, I think everyone's uh, within the coastal community, Asia Pacific is express, experiencing the same things like uh, we try to push for the marine conservation to scale up the things, but it always stuck somewhere somehow. So, like for for example, like the practitioners, are, like me, yeah, which really small project that we have on the ground. And then um, working with the local community is always our core value. So, like we are trying to push for the bottom up approach uh, that people so always say, like r- grassroots uh, from yes. the from the community, they will understand, they will uh, they will uh, protect whatever they have. But in terms of scaling up, the marine conservation is always stuck somewhere because of the um, the policy that we have, the governing systems that we have, It's not supporting. Uh, for example, in imperfections, I would say like how 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 complicated it is is that like. We have a multi-level agency that we have to reach out, and then the authorities over the lands, over the sea, and then how the authorities of, like, even the turtles is belong to the state, it's no longer national uh, uh, national assets. So it's, inter- it's the interlink between others, and then there always a conflicts of interest um, when we want to scale up the yeah. conservation, especially to, to manage the marine protected areas. So the management mm-hmm. is always... Um, Towards, uh, towards like, uh, collaboration between agencies. And then, yeah. uh, what other supports that we are on the grounds needed is a multi level support, especially yeah. in terms of the sub national government goes out to the national government. And then, when the national governments do understand, like, uh, the bigger frameworks of, uh, conservation, they are able to understand the value. And then from them, from there we can assess where is the gap, uh, whether to push the strategy bottoms up short approach or even uh, where is the where is the part that we can do, uh, top down approach, which is need yeah. the enforcement, the authority. So this is also something that people on the ground like me, I don't I, I can't like push like, hey, don't fish around here. So mm-hmm. I don't have the power to say the fish the commercial yeah. fishermen. But uh, with, the, with, the, with the bottom, uh, top-down approach, the authorities have the power to say, so we can't do this. And then uh, in Perhentian, we are pushing for the particip- participatory management, which is uh, we acknowledge the, uh, the voice of all the stakeholders. I mean, everyone's play a role in terms of managing the resources that we have on the island. So far, it's yet to establish, but um, the project is running. Which is we are consulting every level and then we are pushing for the management plan uh to the uh, authority like the Marine Park Authority, so that uh, the framework is the completed, so like who's responsible for where and then what they are responsible to. It will be easier for um people on the grounds to work on and also the authorities know where they should tackle uh, all those things and in terms of the enforcement, uh legality and then where and then it's also easy for Um, the awareness uh, in terms of the awareness people are knowing what uh, what act they are fall under which law they are broken something like that so it's much more easier for everyone to follow like each agency knows their role and then um, another support is that the system itself so sometimes we really Mm -hmm. want to push the ideas is so big like everyone wants to do this wants to do that but the system is not ready even like the waste management on the ground I mean um the ideas of recycling the ideas of like plastic waste everyone knows everyone is um everyone do understand like all the ways come up to the island and then even the island that so we we do experience like every monsoon we're gonna have a one pile up of so bottles yeah, either on sick. either on the beach or even sometimes we do re cleanup, underwater cleanup. up just never ending water bottles there uh people do understand and then for, for, like, for, for conservationists, for the project, for the conservation projects on the ground, we try to cut off, like, no plastic water. But the, the facilities here is not yet supported. Maybe I would say one is the resources, like transportation, maintenance. Mm-hmm. So the the, the system is not holistic. It's, it's not like, uh, everyone's, um, how do I say? We want to do this, but we we'll are stuck somewhere. We want to do this, and we are stuck somewhere. So the system itself uh, need to be ready first before we push everything in one like systematic. So here we just do very simple thing, just a wire mesh bin, very transparent. Just pour up. This is what you're gonna what you're gonna throw into the bin. We can't yeah. use the solid bin. Cannot. Because <laughs> everyone yeah. was like, it needs need to be transparent. So but it works on the island. This island especially, but maybe different islands have different approach, but on the island, we do really have really simple It's a wire mesh bit, transparent one. And then people start throwing accordingly. And then we yeah. have, um, we have, we have uh, worked together with the local council so that they are able to understand that color coding plastic is a recyclable item. And then it's yeah. up to you, it's up to the contractors that collecting, uh, send it to the uh, recycling center. So, so it's a very easy system. But yet, uh, effective in a way in the small scale. Definitely, uh, pushing up for the larger scale. We need, uh, supports from, uh, governments, uh, different sectors, and then also, yeah. um, private sectors that, are pushing towards more sustainable practices, like yeah. no plastics on the ground, and then awareness from the tourist itself. This is a tourist area, exactly. a tourist island, like, yeah, the adult education comes there. <laughs>
1: Yeah. yeah. I really like what you said about the, um, you know, even if we are doing so much things in bottom-up approach, right, the system has to be ready. The infrastructure has to be ready. And I think I've also mentioned that, that there has to be also international investment and technology. It was really kind of eye-opening to see that, you know, it's the same as in the Asia Pacific. I think this is very our um challenges and this is what we can do, right? We, we need also the support of the government, we need the support of like everyone, even the tourists, as you, as you mentioned. And so, um, I think in the interest of time. <laughs> so before we close, I would like to hear from each one of you one phrase, one thing, you know, that you would say to a young woman in the Asia Pacific region wanting to start getting involved today with the environmental movement. So let's start with you, Hidaya.
3: Okay, from me, I would say if you are ready, that means it's too late. So if you are ready, that means it's too late. Yeah. So basically, just if you have an interest, you have the passions in the marine conservation or so even like environmental issues itself, stuff, just start. You can start smalls and then grow your passions towards like uh, and then prepare prepare yourself in terms of like um. Design thinking, like how critically you can do things uh, to support uh, the environmental, environmental issues.
1: Yeah. Yeah. One sentence. It's really nice. Like you know, everyone wants to do something, but you know they're always waiting for the right time, for the right time, right? So I think I like what you said. Like if you're ready, then it's too late. <laughs> so I think we need everyone. To, yeah, just do it.
2: You know. Um, Afu, what can you say to to the young women in Asia Pacific? Maybe rely on yourself or look inward and I have an explanation on this one. I think a a lot of the times when I, I mean, when we do this kind of webinar, right, uh, they always ask like, so what's the solution? What should I do? Similar to to, to what you just asked, like what should people who are listening to this do? But uh, a lot of the times, I mean, these, we don't always have the solutions. I don't always have the solutions. Um, The solutions that I already know, I probably already tried, right? I mean the kind of like so in terms of like what I think I can do or like people should try doing which is that in terms of pushing for policy change that's why I don't think policy but I think this is the reason why you should never stop at the solution that you listen from an IG live session or solution that you listen from a zoom webinar session but also like think creatively um be be the solution think about what are the solutions because um sometimes you think that there are experts who know the solution somewhere. And yes, there are, Uh, you know, those people, I mean, there's who's actually working directly on the ground. There are people doing different things, policy solutions, systemic solutions, business solutions, but the space is so big. Everyone needs to try to come up with their own solutions. And um, yeah, so that's the message kind of like look inward in trying to find for solutions, because sometimes you'll be surprised, like what new creative ideas that you have that other people haven't tried. Um yes yeah. other people don't always know what the solutions are is that makes everything sense.
1: yeah <laughs> that's good that's really good to like empower yourself know yourself you might have the solution that no one else have and it's something to really i like that like you said like rely on yourself and and to follow up with hidaya do it, you know? So it's really nice having this discussion with you both. And once again, thank you to to the global landscapes forum and the youth and landscapes initiative. So all our amazing audience that are, who are watching here today and for tuning in and engaging a big thank you to, uh, both of you, Hidayah and Aku for all your wonderful insights and inputs. And as you said, um, it's GLF live, uh, like the Instagram live session. It's not just enough. A Zoom live um, session is not enough. We have to think critically. We have to rely on ourselves. We might, you know, know the solutions out there. We have to start already something, and we have to do it now. We have to act it, you know. And um, thank you for taking the time to be with us here for all the audience. Good afternoon. For us here, it's good evening, right? And thank you
3: both.
0: Stay tuned for another episode next week about gender inequality and how it can be carried down supply chains. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to leave us a rating or write us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and reach out to us on social media with the hashtag GLF Live. And for everything you need to know about landscapes, ecosystems, and climate change, check out our website at globallandscapesforum.org. We'll see you on the next one.